And now, SCORE Senior Football Analyst, Hub Arkish, on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Indeed! Welcome and welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage. We'll be here till 2. And we'll be playing Hanukkah and holiday songs for you as only Saturday Suckage to do. But for now, we go to the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. We welcome back to the show. Hub Arkish. Hub, how are you today? I am good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. I woke up next to the woman I love, so life is good. Life is groovy. I'm groovy, bordering on bitching, just in case anybody wanted to knew what the what the metric was. So fields or flus, you can only choose one. Which would you choose as general manager of the Bears? Fields or flus, yeah, which would keep, I choose? Pick one, keep man? one. That's it. I, I, somehow it struck me this week that Ryan Poles gets, it may be coming down to like, what do I go? The coach I wanted, but he's been a disaster picking other assistant coaches, and his record's not good, and we have issues, and, and then there's a quarterback I didn't pick, and, and yet he's really athletic, but nobody knows how to coach him into being the, the dominant guy, guy who looks like he should win championships i don't know why it seems like it's coming down to ryan poles fields or flus he has to pick one well if he has to pick one based on what we know right this minute i would take fields uh, i'm sorry i would take flus um but that's not the way it's going to work and, and you know we've been talking about this so far all season you have to wait till the end we have to measure the full you know job and what's happened is that they got off to a terrible 0-4 start. And since then, in the last eight weeks, they've gotten better every week. They've gotten pretty good at some things. Uh, young players have started to develop. And, you know, I, I just don't feel like Matt Eberflus has been treated very fairly in the way he's being evaluated. Um, and it's funny because everything that, that either fans or some media want to be happy about or say is good, that credit goes to Fields. And everything that is wrong, that blame goes to Flus. <laughs> you know, and and I don't know. I know why. It's because of the 1,100 yards that feels rushed for last last year, and and that's real, and and that's great, and he deserves credit for that. But at the end of the day, you know what I've seen the most from those two in the year and a half for Flus, a little bit more now, and the two and a half uh, for Fields. I, I would, if I had to make the decision today, I'd have to go with Flus. Okay, I I would bring up I would want your opinion on this with when you're the general manager Ryan Poles told Jeff Joniak this week that he had to tell his coach, remind his coach depending how you want to characterize it, to get his better players on the field more. And that was seriously seemed to be in reference to um, DJ Moore getting more targets and Montez Sweat getting on more than than his rotation where it was 63% of the plays, whatever it was for that first game that your general manager has to say that. It seems like if you have to tell your coach to get your better players out there more, I think you might be, you might have hired the wrong guy. How did, what did you make of Poles' comments about Eberflus? Well, I didn't hear the interview, and, and, you know, sometimes just a couple words can change things dramatically. I, I did hear the report that Poles talked to Flus and that they wanted uh, Sweat, you know, on, on the field more, and I understand that. Um, I think that that probably 
little unfair on polls part. And I'm not sure that's something that should be discussed publicly when, you know, in between the first and second week of having the guy who wants him on the field more, uh, you know, that's not a failure by the coach or the player or the GM. Uh, that's just a reality of the way things are continuing to change and to try and get through this, this rebuild. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that that's a, public discussion that the GM should be having with anybody because he, as you are pointing out, he kind of puts his coach, it sounds like he's putting his coach in a bad place Mm -hmm. and everything I've heard, you know, from them and other people and being at Ellis Hall three, four times a week and all that. I think that polls and and flus are pretty much on the same page and working well together. Um, And yet, as you point out correctly, if that is true, if, if polls, you know, was upset that he wasn't using sweat enough and, and that he thinks that's a problem, then that should be a concern. But having not heard the interview, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I need to make of that. Okay, let's talk about sweat because on the field, he he came here with a question, was he a multiplier or did he benefit from all those first-round picks in Washington? And for one game, for that game, and, and it's grown each game, uh, he has looked like the multiplier and other He's performing, and other players are benefiting from it, and the defense. And and Eberflus gets credit for this. He's taken over the defense that is far better coached by him than it was when he was the head coach and somebody else was doing this. At least that's my view of it. So for one game, and I know they were not facing an all-pro quarterback, I do think that we saw a start of what we hope will be the Montez Sweat experience. What did you think of the Tez effect? Yeah, I, I think he's definitely a multiplier. Uh, and I thought he was watching the Washington, you know, and I liked the trade when they made it. Mm-hmm. And the little bit we've seen so far, you know, I think you have to feel good about it. Uh, you know, plus you've got the contract done now and you've got him for the next four years. He is, uh, he's a little older than you would expect from a guy with four years in the league. He's, I think, just turned 28 or about to turn 28. But, you know, at that position, he should play well into his early 30s. So that part of it is fine. And I think from what you've seen, the entire defense has played better in the couple of weeks since he got here, not just him. And so early on, I, I feel pretty good about that trade. I do think he's a multiplier. I know you want to wait till the end of the season, but um, this being talk radio, we, we take the temperature <laughs> every week and you're, you're aware of this and I'm sure you'll answer this as only you can in the idea of like, well, we're going to wait till the end, but where Jalen Johnson is and what he needs, all the talk about whether the coach needs to prove himself he's being evaluated, the quarterback needs to prove himself he's being evaluated, they all are. And Jalen Johnson is standing there in the pay line when he's got his hand out and he says, I think I deserve this. The Bears think he deserves something else. The last game, did it give you insight into which way, did it did it affect or change your mind about what you would pay, whether you would keep him, do the Bulls, do the Bears have backup so that he's not as big an issue? Should he become better with, should he benefit from the Tez effect? And and are the missed pick sixes, the missed interceptions, a severe, a severe limitation in your evaluation of Jalen Johnson? Well, I don't know if I want to use the word severe, but they definitely are a limitation because those are the plays that separate the top-played cornerbacks uh, or, or defensive backs from the well-paid defensive backs. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think Jalen Johnson should be a well-paid defensive back. 
but I haven't seen anything that tells me he should be one of the top paid defensive backs in the league. And that's apparently what he wants. Now we don't know, you know, what, if anything, the bears have offered him. Um, you know, what's interesting to me about Johnson is that it's, it, it, it feels like a, like a bad relationship, but he's not acting that way. He, you know, he, he, he's being very positive about things. He's saying all the right things. I haven't heard well, I think Flus did say a couple less than positive. I want to call them negative things about him this week because of the missed interceptions, you know, last weekend. But um, uh, I think he's a guy you'd like to keep. But as near as I can tell from everything we've heard, not at the level of money that he wants, you know. And I think that's why they're willing to risk him getting to free agency and see what he can be offered by somebody else. I don't think they want to get rid of him. I just don't think they want to overpay him. And our best guess from what we know so far is that he is looking to get overpaid um, because of his lack of production in the takeaway, you know, category. And, and that's probably the most important one for a top paid corner defensive back. Interesting. You bring up what Eberflus said about him and sort of surprising criticism given Iberflus the way he fumfers around with the language and, and trying not to be critical. But it struck me, those comments, not that he hasn't been offered some kind of comment on other players, but that seemed like the strongest I'd heard from him. And I interpreted that as doing the general managers negotiating publicly for a guy who thinks he's worth more, as you just said, than the the Bears want to pay. Did you get that impression from what Eberflew said about Jalen Johnson? Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. And, and it gets back again to, I, I really think from everything I've seen and heard so far that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflew's are very much on the same page and trying to do this together. And so that would make sense. You know, I don't think that would be a reason for Flew saying that, but I don't think he'd be shy about saying it. If in fact the relationship with Poles is what I think it is. And and I was kind of glad to hear it. I thought it was fair. And I didn't think, you know, he didn't say he's bad. He didn't say they won the game, so he couldn't say it cost us the game. Um, but but those plays, you know, if you're going to give him credit for the good stuff, and he has done some really good stuff, and he has gotten credit for it, then he's got to take the responsibility for not being able to do those kind of things at those moments, you, you know. And, and so I think that's a very fair evaluation that, that he was backing up where I, I think Poles probably feels like he's kind of stuck with him right now because, you know, he's been trying to take advantage of that one game with a couple picks and, and, and that was going to get him paid. And, and I think that Poles and Flues, you know, pretty quickly responded and said, no, that one game wasn't enough because in the next game you didn't make those plays. And, and so that's what they're trying to sort out. I, you know, at the end of the day, um, if he gets to free agency, it seems unlikely that he would then resign with the Bears. But I think the Bears are in a tough spot right now. Uh, they once again this year are going to have the most uh, free agency room of, or most money room of anybody in free agency, and they don't want to overspend on somebody. And it just it feels like, from what we do know, that Johnson's just asking for too much, you know, and, and that that's why they're stuck right now. You always play the what if game. Hub Arkish is my guest, senior NFL analyst for the Score. We're talking Bears here on the Score. So the the. One of the what ifs you always play is what if he leaves? What where where do I have? What is my depth? And what do you think of the Bears' depth at what would be the cornerback position and on the roster now replacing Jalen Johnson? Should he be gone? 
Well, I think Tyreek Stevenson is well on his way to making all rookie. Uh, I've been very impressed by him. I liked the pick when they made it. And now that I've seen him play in the way he's developing each week, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good corner. And then they've got other young players that aren't hurting them right now. None that have shown as much as Stevenson has. Um, But, you know, when you look at the secondary, uh, it is – probably the most talented group on the defense, maybe the most talented group on the team, you know, and so they have other players to work with if they can't get a deal done, uh, you know, if Johnson doesn't stick around. And so, again, I think that is another part of the reason why they're, you know, taking their time on this and, and, they're, and they're trying to, get, I think they'd like to keep them. I just don't think they want to overpay them. And I think that they're trying different ways to get to that point. So we all made it through that game, the 12-10 slog. The Bears get four <laughs> interceptions and get no touchdowns out of it. The quarterback, who has been a ball security nightmare for his career, continued to do so, and then and then he rallied. He was able to make a play. It was big enough, and it feels like a, wi- a win that felt like a loss. I, I don't I, – how did you come out of that game, Hub? You know, Steve, this is, I know I'm weird. I have been my whole life. (laughs) You know, I I actually pretty much enjoyed that game. Uh, And I'm not saying because it was well played. I'm not saying the Bears did anything great. You know, I'm not saying the Vikings did anything terrible. But I loved watching the defense (laughs) from both teams. And and I love the plays that were being made, and that's every bit as important as the offense. It's not the way that people, you know, want to watch the NFL these days, and particularly with the Bears' problems and the questions at quarterback, you're more worried about the offense than the defense. But I didn't have a problem with that game. They beat a playoff team from last year that, until the Bears beat them, would have been in the playoffs this year. And, and that's the kind of win that everybody's looking for. And so I just feel like there was a lot more positive than negative that came out of that last game. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and this is why I keep saying we got to wait till the end of the season. You've got five games left. If they win three of them, now we're talking about a team that has more, dub- more than doubled their wins from last season. And, and this is where people want to fire the head coach. You, you know, I, I just, it's, I just don't feel like it's being evaluated fairly from a football perspective. It's being evaluated more on what fans want and, and what some media want. And that's why I keep saying we got to wait. I, I'm not going to be negative about saying both positive and negative things about players this week, next week, the week after. But final decisions as to whether this guy has got a role in the rebuild is one of the important pieces. That's the kind of thing that, that I think we have to wait till the end of the season. And then the same goes for the keeping or firing of the, of the coach or the GM or anybody else. Okay, palm to forehead, if the Bears beat the Cardinals, that hurts the Bears' draft pick that they own with the Panthers. I don't want to see the Bears beat the Cardinals. Can you arrange for three of the five wins to be none of them be against the Cardinals? You know, the Cardinals are an interesting team because in spite of their two and eight or two and nine record, I think that they're near the top of the league in turnover takeaway. And and, and so, you know, they, they stay in all these games. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm not going to say it. I know a lot of their games have been one-score games. And so, you know, they're, they're capable of beating almost anybody, and they've proven they're capable of losing any game. Uh, but, you know, you're making perfect sense. That's what I've been watching. Everybody keeps talking about the Bears draft pick. I don't care about the Bears draft pick because the Bears draft pick isn't going to be one of the first two. It's going to be, 
you know, four or five, maybe seven or eight if they win more games. But the Panthers, they have a very good chance of having the number one overall pick. And I don't know that they need the number one overall pick. They need one of the top two. Because unlike most, I haven't decided that Caleb Moore is the number one pick. I, I'm not so sure that May isn't, isn't the better prospect, and I'm not sure either one of them is the best quarterback prospect in this draft. But they've got to stay one or two, and I think they're in pretty good shape there. But you're right, the Cardinals is a team that you've you got to keep an eye on. And, you know, I'm sure by the time we get to that game, the Bears are going to go out there and try and win it. But uh, it will be interesting to see what the impact is as it relates to, to where that Cardinals pick ends up. I've been talking about this for more than a year, and now we're talking about real money as it comes up on evaluating Justin Fields and that big, that second contract. He's a ball security nightmare. Their their combination of fumbles and interceptions are, are almost like two a game. And we saw the two fumbles in the fourth quarter. I don't, I can't give this guy that kind of money if I don't have that reliability, that the ball security is that I'm good there. I cannot check that box. Or maybe I, maybe you think I'm crazy, I'm overstating it. Where do you come down on what I think is a ball security nightmare in the quarterback for the Bears? Well, I think you're absolutely correct. I, you can't even think about giving him another contract right now. You know, and this is where I keep talking about the end of the season. Even at the end of the season, he is their property for at least two more years after this year. And and his next contract is not something they should really be focused on right now because he hasn't earned that next contract. And he's not going to sign anything that doesn't give him $200 million because that's what these guys want in their second contract if they think they're going to be franchise quarterbacks. And he has done nothing to prove. I'm not saying to show. He has done some things to show, but he's done nothing to prove that he can be that guy. So I wouldn't really be too worried about his contract right now because the reality is that if he doesn't win half of their remaining games and if he doesn't get off to a hot start next year, they're not going to want to re-sign him at all. Um, I really think that regardless of what happens in the next five weeks, unless he goes lights out, you know, unless they win all five or something like that, I think that they have to take a quarterback with that first pick, even if it's to compete with him, you know, because people are calling this the best quarterback draft of all time. There's going to be at least four, probably five or six in the first round. And as I just said, I'm not even convinced that Williams or May is the best one, you know? So uh, regardless of what happens, I think they're going to use that first pick on a quarterback and then they, they find out what they can get in a trade for Fields because people will be offering if they know that he's available, and it gives them more options. So um, with the two first-round picks, two in the top ten, uh, I think one of them is going to be a quarterback, and, and if you're going to do that, you're not about to think about a new deal yet for Fields. Okay. I don't know why I just relaxed hearing that. I know that that part is true, and I guess – I guess in we in our breathless talk radio way, we need to say, "Oh my God, it's coming!" It's you can see this tsunami of "Oh my God!" and no, all right, we own them, we we own the rights to him if we want them for a couple for a little while, and we can actually do the Packers thing. They did smart things, right? They groomed their yep. quarterback. Yeah, they can. They had him on the roster for a year and sit and okay, all right. I'm feeling better, Hub. You know, Steve, I got to tell you, if Justin Fields becomes the guy that I'm convinced we all want him to be, we've all been waiting, what, 40, 45 years, everybody's going to be happy and it's not going to matter how much they pay him. But if they give him $170, $200 million now or in the next six months, and then he doesn't become that guy, 
that's going to cost Ryan Poles his job if it hasn't already. And so it, there's very few things I'm really sure about right now, but I'm pretty sure that that, that Poles and, and Flus, or at least Poles, are not thinking about his next contract. They're thinking about how they can get him to stop turning the ball over. Okay, good. I'd be in favor of that. I vote for that if we're prioritizing things. Hub, thanks. Appreciate your time. All right, Steve. Have a great weekend. You too. Hub Arkish, senior NFL analyst for The Score, joining us, talking Bears. Take a break. When we come back, WB Club meeting. WB Club meeting, what Sharon Osbourne did to Ozzy's stash is the bleep man. I'll share that and some other WB Club, Wake and Bake Club news with you. And (laughs) I'll try not to cost the station its license as I get about that. Herb Howard will be here to talk bears before the hour is out because bears, my friends, Saturday Suckage, Steve Rosenblum, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. There's something important I was supposed to do today. Dopest dope I've ever smoked. Hands down, dopest dope I've ever smoked. We can make club. I love weed. I smoke weed every second of every day. Hey, I am your stoner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Smokey the Bear is going, only you can. I knew this. We're so high right now. We're not low. Open up the door, it's Dave. Who? Dave, D-A-V-E. Will you open up the door? Yeah, Dave. Dave? Right, man, Dave. Now, will you open up the door? Dave's not here. Oh. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> I had the flu one time. Did a did a gummy bear. I, I was like uh, breakfast at Bernie's, you know, the dead guy. Yeah. I was supposed to go to a party, and they, <laughs> I went to the party, and they sat me in a chair, and people got sat beside me, took pictures, and I'm sitting there like <laughs> breakfast at Bernie's. Smoke weed every day. The Wake and Bake Club. We got an intro for the Wake and Bake Club. Way to go, Tyson Farringle. Filling in for Sean Sear, so we've renamed Tyler Tyson. And by the way, we can't, I can't stop repeating this. Justin Fields has finally tied Tyson Bajan for wins. Okay. Right? Didn't he? They each they got, beers got four wins. They each got two, right? Did my math work? All right. My mouth sucks. All right. So the Wake and Bake Club, this story, let this be a lesson to you. Pro tip. Don't mess was Sharon Osborne's desire to stop your pot smoking? Or she will, how do I say it, make a mess. There's a new episode of the Osborne's podcast. They're all over, right? They're the Osborne's t- television show, Everyone Became a Star. Now, a podcast. So one of the subjects recently was the family talking about the time Sharon wanted to discourage Ozzy Osbourne from from smoking. They're on vacation. They're in Hawaii. Daughter Kelly says, I found, and she says, I found it, meaning dad's marijuana. I came to mom. I showed it to her. And she's like, Kelly, do you need to go to the toilet? And I said, no, I'm not going to do this again for you. I'm not going to bleep in dad's drugs. 
So let's stop here for a moment and see what we've learned so far. That the daughter has already soiled dad's drugs and she wasn't going to do it again. Sharon then defecated in the cannabis-filled Ziploc bag. This according to the way People Magazine wrote it up. Quote, zipped it back up and put it back. And when he found out, Kelly said he went nuts and chased us down the hallway of his hotel in Hawaii. Sharon dropped a deuce in his stash. Son Jack says he went so bleeping nuts and nearly knocked a door off a hinge at the hotel we were in. Well, I think every Wake and Bake Club member would imagine and side with Ozzy Osbourne. Imagine they would be if somebody did that to your stash. Anybody do that to your stash, Tyson? Anybody do that to your stash? No, nobody found it. Nothing has ever happened. I found my kid's pipe once, and I just took it and then watched him wonder where he left it and watched him bounced around the house with a friend, like trying to, try, where'd I leave it? Where'd I go? Retrace it. And I just smirked to myself, but I never thought to... You know, drop a deuce in the dope. <clears throat> but wait, there's more <clears throat> from Sharon's backside. There's more to this podcast story. According to Sharon, quote, he, meaning Ozzy, wouldn't stop drinking one time. He was drinking brandy, and I just got the bottle and rubbed it around my backside shall we say and then he took a swig Sharon continues with the story and then he meaning Ozzy Osbourne went back again and then he looked at me and he goes you didn't and I go I did okay I just want you to know Wake and Bake Club members, if Sharon Osborne is around, hide your stash, protect your stash, protect your brandy. This woman has a lethal backside. Smoke weed every day. So remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a calamitous tweet from a Wake and Bake Club legend, Snoop Dogg, like he gave up smoke, posted it, tweeted it, and several of the commenters at the time suspected this was... This was a plan, a scheme, a script. And it was, as it turned out. It turned out that a couple days later, he revealed that it was part of a ad campaign for a smokeless fireplace. Not an indication that he was giving up cannabis. So, he remains one of the active members, one of the active Wake and Bake Club members on Mount Cushmore. He remains a face up, there remains a beacon. There you go. That's our Wake and Bake Club. And we'll end this Wake and Bake Club with a new, one of our new Saturday Suckage holiday songs. This is a Hanukkah song written, co-written and recorded by David Diggs. Does that mean anything to you, Tyson? David Diggs? No. He starred in Hamilton. He played Thomas Jefferson. And... David Diggs was amazing in this show. 
And what he did was, in concert with Disney, he co-wrote and recorded this song, our newest edition, I Want a Puppy for Hanukkah. Uh, yeah. Come on. You know what I want to... What you want, what you want, what you want, what you want? I want a puppy for Hanukkah. Want a puppy, want a puppy, want a puppy, want a puppy, want a puppy. And I'ma get just what I wanted, yep. Go get it, go get it, go get it, go get it. I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. Get a puppy, get a puppy, get a puppy, get a puppy. Some kids write lists for their Christmas gifts and they send them all off to their Santas. But I don't trip off a list for my gift. I'ma get it cause I got eight chances. That's right, eight nights, festival of lights. Go hard for a week with a plus one. So y'all keep stressing, be good, learn lessons. But Hanukkah is the best fun. And you can laugh if you want to. But I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. There you go. Newest addition to our holiday songs. Hanukkah starts next week. So we just wanted to we wanted to get that out there. Take a break when we come back. Bears. Talk. Bears. More bears. Because bears. It doesn't matter if they're on a bye week. They're still the bears. For Howard, it's the bigs. He'll be talking to us. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Saturday Suckers. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for filling your bong. However you're doing it, waking, baking, and talking sports and bears. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Travis Smith, that was his idea to put those guys on the same side and uh, run that little pick stunt that we had. We ran it a couple of times. We lined up in that same alignment, did a couple other things out of that, had a nice, I think, third or fourth down stop out of that same alignment with a different pressure. But, yeah, you definitely need to do that. You know, anytime you can get a mismatch and put, you know, guys, him on a particular side, you're doing that for a particular mismatch or you're creating an advantage for somebody else somewhere else. You know, so that's that's the benefit of having a player like that. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Matt Eberflus, the interim coach of the Bears, talking about stuff, ball, ball, football stuff, stuff. 309 texture reacting to our last segment. My mom threw my stash down the toilet in front of me when I was 16. LOL. I'm sure lots of other people have a similar testimony. Yes, I'm sure they do. I'm Steve Roseman. Welcome in. Saturday Suckers, the Wake and Bay Club just concluded its meeting. We go back to the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. We welcome to the show. It's the Bigs. He covers the Bears for It's the Bigs. You can find him on Twitter. He's Herb Howard, Herb Howard 411. Thanks for joining me, Herb. Steve, my pleasure, man. What's going on? How you feeling? Wait, I'm, I'm groovy. Woke up next to the woman I love. Things are great. It's wonderful. There you go. That's tough to beat. Yeah, right. So... The Bears beat the Vikings. It felt like a loss. I'm not sure what to make of it. What did you make of it? How did you treat it? What did you come away with? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of found the game a little bit more entertaining than most people's teams that I found. It. I know it wasn't a, a high-scoring affair, no explosive offense, but I thought the defenses on both teams really played well. But thinking about the Bears, they continue to take the ball away. You got seven turnovers in the last two weeks for the defense. And so I think, you know, that's a that's a brand of ball that they can win with. And obviously, you got to put more points on the board, be more consistent. you got four takeaways, and you only come away with three points. That's just not enough. Uh, but you can certainly find some improvement uh, about the way this team is playing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I thought it was a pretty good um, a good win for them to go to Minnesota, a place where they've struggled, and, and come back with a victory. So let's play a game. I, I started the show with, like, your choice. And remember, death is not an option. Fields or flutes, okay. choose choose one. But now I think we should play start, bench, cut. Polls, 
Eberflus Fields. Uh, yeah, I would I would start Fields, I bench Flus, and and I would cut um, I would cut uh, Lugetti. <laughs> so there you go. Changing the names, you're just going to write it in. Tell me your problems with Luke Getzey. Um, oh, you said polls. My bad. I thought, for some reason, everybody, everybody's including the offensive coordinator in there. So I guess if I, that was the case, I would start build, bench polls, and cut loose. But what was the next question? <laughs> well, no, no. If you're if you're willing to cut Getzey, and and you can have a crowd behind you, guaranteed, you'll have a crowd behind you. Here's what. Here's another way of looking at it. When people show you who they are, believe them. Well, what mm-hmm. Luke Getze has shown me is that he is a scheme slave. It's his mm-hmm. idea of what they should be and that he doesn't always know the player. He can't see the player in front of him. He can't judge the skills in front of him. And when they show you what the bear showed me, what Luke Getze showed me, we don't think Justin Fields is capable of throwing more than three feet per pass against a blitzing or pressure-heavy defense unless it's sort of desperation time, and that's when he hit the hit the pass to, um, to DJ Moore. So that's what I see in, in Getze, and I don't want a coach who can't coach the player who's there. What do you see in Getze, and why would you cut him? You know, I, I agree with that. I think the kind of any good coach is his ability to, you know, devise a game plan that's tailored to the skill set that he has on his roster. And I think if you have to change that season to season, or if you have to change that week to week, or half to half sometimes, and that's just what the job requires. And when the coach is unable to do that, it speaks to, you know, their own stubborn ability to overbelieve in what they want to do, despite uh, what the roster may dictate. That being said, I think that, you know, there have been times where Coach Gessie has shown the ability to kind of, uh, devise a game plan tailored specifically around what gives his, his team the best chance to win this week. What I don't know that he has been able to do is find those mid-game adjustments and say, okay, they're starting, to, they're starting to key in on some of these things. How do we adjust off of that? How do we use those to set up some other things down the field? And I think that will be the next step for him. And as far as cutting him, I just, I, I'm not as down on Gessie as a lot of people are. Uh, certainly he's made a lot of mistakes and I've been, you know, as critical of them as anybody else. But, you know, if, you, if I got to if I got to cut somebody out of the three, it would just have to be him. Is there any sense that there will be or what is the sense of what kind of shakeup there will be after this season? Mm-hmm. And and perhaps we have to let it play out. I'm sure we do that. That whatever Kevin Warren's effect will be, what do you expect that? How do you expect that to manifest itself in January and February? Yeah, certainly I, I agree with you. We've got to wait and see. But I think the, the biggest thing would be what, what if anything, happens with Jim Harbaugh. I think if, if that's a possibility for them, I could certainly see that happening. I don't know the particular relationship between Harbaugh and Kevin Warren from his time as a president in the Big Ten. Uh, but if that's okay and that's something that has mutual interest and they, they want to do that, then that would obviously shake things up. If that is not the case, I'm more inclined to believe that this coaching staff is going to come back pretty much intact. I would think that Luce would be here. And I think if he had his choice, he would like to keep Coach Getty around. And that may also be, uh, just in terms of continuity, the best thing for uh, Justin Fields, if that's the route they choose to go as well. There's so many variables left that some of it will play itself out over the next five weeks and certainly over the coming months. But if I had to choose one, I would say hardball, if anything. And if not, I, I, I expect things to stay pretty much the same as it is right now. That's icky. I, I, yeah, I just, I see no, that's hopeless to me because here's my, here's my big problem. Whatever Ryan Poles did, 
There's been some good. There's been some bad. I think the Claypool thing was an embarrassment. I think he rallied well with Montez Sweat. And and some of those, the draft, Valus Jones was a disaster, but Darnell Wright clearly looks like the right move. DJ Moore is exactly, he, he can and should be, he can be that target. He should be a bigger target. So Ryan pulls it. But what Ibraflus has done is proved that he's a defensive coordinator and nothing more. He's not the CEO head coach. His, his, when you have HR issues with your assistant coaches, it tells me you did a crappy job with details and background and vetting or covering your own ass. He didn't even do that right. And we don't know, but HR is involved. It could be sexual, sexual harassment. It could be gambling. It could, God knows what it could be that suddenly they left under, under mysterious, suspicious, shamed circumstances. I don't want that guy heading my program. I have a harder time bringing but the reason I started the show the way I did is I have a hard time bringing back that guy and him making decisions as much a hard time as on the field as Justin Fields being a ball security nightmare. I in your mind and which is worse to you? Yeah, I think that when you look at, you know, all the things that have been going on internally inside that building, you certainly got to lay a lot of the responsibility at the field of the head coach. And I think that a lot of times he's kind of ducked that responsibility and said, you know, we went through all the vetting process and we did everything we were supposed to do. But at the end of the day, when 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 all the guys that are under you are doing things unbecoming, you got to take some responsibility for that. And so I, I agree with you. I think he's been really good as a D.C. since he's taken over the play call and the defense has been much more improved. They've dialed up some more timely pressures and helped out their front four. Obviously bringing in Montez Sweat has helped with that as well. But I don't know that he is that CEO that you're talking about that can kind of lead the entirety of the franchise going forward. Uh, that being said, I think that, you know, he'll try to, to make his case to polls and polls if he's buying it. And we saw him come out a couple of weeks ago and give him this, you know, uh, rousing support. Um, and I, I don't know why he – I don't think he needs to do that. So I don't know that he was just blowing smoke because it was unnecessary in the first place. Uh, that being said, Justin's got to certainly take care of the ball too, right? You can't have the turnovers that he had in Minnesota with the fumbles. Um, I think he's cut down on the interceptions for sure. But the, the ball security is, is critical, especially when you're talking about – those end-of-game situations, I think that's what you're trying to evaluate from him on the last part of the season is, is he or is he not a closer? And going back to the Detroit game, uh, that was one of the biggest issues that I had with uh, Coach Gessie and Coach Iberfus was taking the ball out of his hands and a chance for him to prove that he is or is not a closer. If that's what we're trying to evaluate, then get him every opportunity to say, I am or I am not that. Uh, the turnovers were certainly damning for him against Minnesota, but then, in the, you know, in the last round, he comes back gets him down in position, makes a great throw. So uh, certainly the, the, the jury's still out on that, and he's got five more weeks to prove. And I think every opportunity that presents itself for them to put the ball in his hands at the end of half situations and say, is this guy somebody who can get us down the field when the, with the game on the line? Uh, they need to take advantage of that. You're, you're so right, Herb, and I, I'm coming to and listening to you. The thought strikes me that it, the Bears, whether they win, they, they, they need to win a particular way they need to show, because you win three ways with quarterbacks, despite a quarterback with a quarterback or because of a quarterback. And mm-hmm. they need to know, they need to win because of Justin Fields. They need to, like you said, put him in position to do that. And they need to give him every chance to pass or fail. 
to do it. You do or you don't. It's pretty it's pretty binary in that way. You either make that comeback or you don't. You make that play or you don't. He made that play against the Minnesota team, whatever you think of the, the team, Minnesota, they they had more you know, they had a real quarterback, maybe they'd have more points, they wouldn't have Bears right. would have had all the turnovers. Whatever excuses you want to make, Justin Fields made those plays. And I think they have to win that way to make the evaluation a conclusive one. Right now, my conclusion is Justin Fields is just good enough to break your heart the way Jay Cutler was. Mm. Mm. And that's the only conclusion I can come to. I don't know where you are on your Justin fields meter, but we're supposed to have one every week, aren't we? <laughs> I think we're supposed to have one every drive. It seems like. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's certainly what's going on with him. And I, I, I love his, 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 his skill set. I think he has uh, as many tools in his box as any quarterback in this league. Certainly he needs to improve on the consistency. He's got to improve his anticipation. And certainly, like we talked about, the ball security. Uh, that being said, if I am a head coach or if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm trying to build a team or build a quarterback. I want one that has as many tools as possible. And I think he has all the tools that you want. Now, can you devise a game plan that – takes advantage of the things that he does best and trying to mitigate the things that maybe he does not do so well. And so I think that, you know, coming into a situation where people are talking about, you know, these generational talents that are coming down the draft. And I think that that word is thrown around far too often. Like every year it's like, Oh, this is a generational quarterback coming. If that was true, then that's not, they aren't generational, right? This is always a great one. And so I, I don't know if that to be true. I look around the NFL, Steve, and I only see a handful of quarterbacks who, if I were building a team today, I would choose over Justin Fields, right? And I, I, just just in terms of the the, the, the tools and the skill set that they have, there's only a handful that I would say, okay, I'd rather start my team with that guy than with Justin Fields. And so with that being said, I don't know that Caleb Williams or Drake May or Penix or any of these guys comes into the league and offends to, you know, that top handful of quarterbacks that says, okay, now this guy is somebody I want to start my franchise with over him. And so uh, if it was me, um, I, I, would, I would stick with Justin Fields. I think that's also – the best case scenario for them, just in the fact of if I have my quarterback question already answered going into this offseason where I have so much draft capital and I still have uh, the resources in terms of salary cap, if I already have my quarterback question answered, then I can use all these resources to address some other holes. Now, you got to continue to evaluate that. That's what I'm saying. These last five games, every single chance that comes up to put the ball in his hands in a critical situation, whether it's in the first half, in the second half, put the ball in his hands. It's third and seven late in the game against Detroit. Put the ball in his hands before you kick the field goal to go up 12, right? If it's if it's the, the, that next drive coming back, put the ball in his hands before you just run it two times up the middle and then throw a deep ball down the sideline. Like, give him every opportunity to say, okay, I know for sure he's the guy, or I know for sure he is not. And then you know what you need to do going forward. There's so many times, it, it, what you're saying makes so much sense. We and, and what we've seen from this coaching staff is they tend to – they tend to lean to the side of scared, being scared, mm-hmm. and as opposed to being to how dynamic can we be? And I don't know, do you expect that to change in the next five weeks? Just because we're talking about it, we're emphasizing it. I don't know that it changes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it changes either. It seems to be that's who, who they are and, and how they want to go about playing the game, trying not to lose as opposed to, to trying to win. But that's burned them so many times, right? And I think that you got to be more aggressive. And again, if, if coming into this season, right, even if you thought they could be, you know, a fringe playoff team or one of those teams that's kind of in that in the hunt column, you know, on the right side of the screen, even <laughs> that, that's, that's where they could be. The, the, the bigger picture was still 
finding out definitively about your quarterback position. And I think that remains the main objective. And if, if, that, if that's the case, then you have to make decisions with that in mind and not so much, oh, let's play it safe. No, 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 no. Play it in a way that will let you know for sure that you have your quarterback or you need to draft Caleb Williams. Um, you're going to have the Carolina Panthers pick. That may be number one. You're going to have your own, and that may be top five, certainly top ten, whatever that's going to be. You're going to have to be able to devise a game plan. Ryan Poles has shown himself to be very creative when he has all these resources. He was creative last year. Uh, we'll see what he's, what he's able to do this year, but it's all going to be predicated on what they think or don't think about Justin Fields. You watch the greatest comeback in Bears history or Justin Fields history will be against a Cardinals team where they absolutely needed to lose to make sure that the Cardinals don't overtake the Panthers for the Bears' number one pick. Clip and save. You watch. (laughs) That Justin Fields will find a way to screw over the Bears by mounting the comeback we've talked about. You watch, okay? All right, well, well, Herb, we'll bring you back and talk about it after that, and then you you, you can all tell me I'm right. The greatest irony I've ever heard right there, Steve. I'm looking forward to it. All right. <laughs> thanks for thanks for your time today. Appreciate it, Herb. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Herb Howard on the score. We'll take a break. When we come back, um, you know what? It's we're approaching Christmas time, Hanukkah time. You're looking for gifts. And I have brought you gift suggestions before. I'll review that one. And I found two new ones that look like a sports argument. Plus the seventh Greatest guitar riff in rock history coming at you, adding to the list that is bothering or pissing people off, and that's what I'm here for. It's Saturday Suckage. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 